if you were here last week, wave your night. I'm going to give you a review. So just hang on. What we said, this is, this is such a big deal. In the beginning, the Bible says everything was perfect. This is a timeline, represents the beginning of time, the end of time. We know that God said everything was good in the Garden of Eden, very good. It was perfect. Sin entered the world. All kinds of stuff happened. We know at the end of time, it's going to be made perfect again. This is what the scripture says. When Jesus returns, there's going to be a time it's going to be perfect. But in the meantime, we live in a rough time, right? We live in mean times, right? It's not getting better. So what we said was there was a time in the fullness of time, Jesus Christ was born and he came and died on a cross, the Bible says that God made him who had no sin to be sin on our behalf. Hello. The best laid plans. Last time the, there was another one messed up. So we'll see if this is going to work. There we go. In the fullness of time, God made him who had no sin to become sin for us so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. God saw there was a problem. He sent Jesus to deal with our biggest problem, which was sin. And if you will accept Christ, then you don't have to worry about um, uh, your heaven. That's secure. And God will offer you power in this life that's not available to those who are not in Christ. So we said that at some point, you and I came along and we're just, just for argument's sake, we're going to put this over here. This represents you and me and it represents 2017, um, October 22nd, 2017. And this is just you and me. It's just our little place. We'll put him upside down. Well, whatever. Last time he's upside down, it represents our world being upside down. I don't know. Best laid illustrations. So here's the problem. And this is where we're going in this series is you need a bigger perspective than just this little dot. You were born at some point, whether it's this year, I don't think anybody in here was born this year. We may have some babies in here, but you were born and there's a little dot in the scheme of eternity that represents your life. The problem is we get into 2017 and we say, oh, this is all there is. And God's such a mean God and God's ignoring me. And we forget that there was history where all kinds of stuff happened and God invaded history to change destinies of people. People reject him and then they get mad at him that he doesn't do what they want him to do. But even people who accept him get mad at him because he doesn't do what they want him to do. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Now, um, in the, in the early nineties, I was in seminary and I had to carry my, my church wanted me to carry a pager. How many of you carried pagers? All right. This is what it looked like in case you don't know what a pager looks like. Uh, these were wonderful marvels of technology, let me tell you, where you could, because they wanted us to carry, there were several people on staff, I was at Lamar Baptist Church in Arlington, Texas, but we would, we would go to visitation, so I had a day each week that I did hospital visitation, every staff member did, and there were times I would have somebody at, at uh, Children's Hospital in Dallas, downtown Dallas, and then I might have somebody at John Peter Smith Hospital in downtown Fort Worth, well that's a long ways away, and then I might have to go to um, Medical City, which is in northern Dallas, and I may have to run all over the place, the staff members did. So they wanted to be able to get a hold of you at any time, anywhere in the Metroplex, so they would put in a little number, more than once I was called out of a seminary class uh, for some, um, some type of emergency that was going on, and I would call and, and, and I would get the message and do whatever I was supposed to do that day. Now, the reason I ask you this is, or I tell you about this is because when I was in seminary, when I was carrying a pager, I read an article. I used to read the Dallas morning news every day. It was just one of the things I did. And I I read an article in the Dallas morning news that said, this was about 1993 pagers were just the big thing. Then they said, there will be a day when every person will have their own personal telephone. They will carry it with them. And when you dial their own personal phone number, wherever they are in the world, it will ring and you'll be able to talk to them. And my statement out loud was, there's no way that will not happen in my lifetime. 
tells you what kind of technology prophet I am, right? The Bible says that, it, that a prophet has to be 100% correct. I was not 100% correct, so don't, don't listen to me about technology. But, but the reason I, I tell you all this is, is because now we have cell phones. And, and so what happened was a couple of years later, Janie and I were married at that time. We had um, Caleb in 19... Well, I, I graduated seminary in, in December of 94. In January of 95, Caleb was born. Two years later in 1997, Rachel was born and we were going to go on a mission trip. So Rachel is all of eight weeks old and the church wanted us to have cell phones. The staff, I was, I was here in town, we were going to Montana. We were going to very remote places. We were going to drive through Nebraska and we were going to go up to South Dakota and we we're going over to, to Montana. And then we we're going to come back through, um, uh, what's next? Wyoming. Thank you. We we're going to do all of that. And so people, they said, you need a special phone, not just, not just a cell phone. Show that picture there, Bobby. This was my very first cell phone was a bag phone. And you did not wear this on your draw, draw, your trousers, your drawers. You would have had saggy drawers for sure. This weighed about 25 pounds. It'd been a great boat anchor. In fact, I think maybe it was later. Um, and they didn't work with Jack. You'd be in the middle. It didn't matter that it supposedly had more power than the little cell phones. It didn't work well. But all of that, I digress. Well, we've come a long way since 1997, right? That was my first bag phone in 1997. And, um, and I noticed that everybody has cell phones now. Even in Haiti, where they may not have electricity, they may not have running water, people have cell phones. And they'll do this little prepaid thing, and they'll go and they'll get a, a few dollars, and they'll go and prepay it. But it's not just to make phone calls, right? It's not just texting. Everybody wants a smartphone now. Why? So that we can compare our lives to everyone on the planet instantly, right? Snapchat, Twitter. I mean, this is what we do. Look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. This is what we do. And I just have a question. Has technology, has our Facebook presence and our Snapchat, has that made life better? No, you, you can say that out loud, but, but I digress. That's not even where I'm going. This week, I was thinking about timelines. I was thinking about stuff that's happened in my lifetime. And I remembered this whole pager thing. And I'm sitting back there typing. And, and God just brought all of this back to mind. And I hadn't, hadn't really revisited it in a long time. Um, I remember the most distressing and de depressing page I ever received. We were, we were in church on a Sunday night, um, Lamar Baptist Church. And we did our normal thing, you know, had Sunday night service and there weren't very many people there, but we, we did our Sunday night service. One of our staff members got called out. She got a page and that's very unusual for somebody to leave, but she knew the number. She went out and she got the page. Well, as soon as we dismissed church, I walked out and, and she said, you need to come to my office. And so I went down there and another staff member, we're all down there. And, and I got on the phone and so it was the dad of one of my teenagers. He was 15, 16 years old. He was in my youth group. Two weeks prior to this, he had been at youth camp with us. Their family was on vacation. His younger sister was a uh, volleyball player. They were at a national volleyball tournament in Kansas at the University of Kansas. I get on the phone. I'm talking to the dad. He said, David has leukemia. Nobody knew. David has leukemia and they're not expecting him to make it through the night. And I, and I just stood there in the office. I went, what? And, and you know, the other staff members are going, we're all just blown away. Nobody even knew he was sick. Two weeks, he was an athlete. He, he did volleyball. He did, you know, the sand volleyball that was big in Arlington at the time. He was a basketball player. He was at youth camp with us. He played all of these sports. We didn't know he was sick. And now at 7 p.m. on a Sunday night, everybody's saying he may not make it through the night. So Janie and I get in the car to drive home. We lived in South Arlington. It was about a 20-minute drive. 
By the time we get there, my pager is going crazy. They call on the, the house line back when we had landlines and all these kids are saying, we want to pray. We want to pray. So Janie and I hop back in the car. We drive back to Lamar Baptist Church in North Arlington. There's probably 40 or so teenagers there and probably another 10 adults that are, that are either know David or they're, they're Sunday school teachers of our youth department. They're, they're people that help me in the youth ministry. And we walked into the worship center, which was just a little bit bigger than this. And, and there were teenagers on their faces at the altar, because we didn't know where else to go. We were going to go where we worship God. They were there, and there were some of us up on the stage, and we were, we were on our faces. And I'm going to tell you, this was the most raw prayer service I've ever been in. When teenagers are on their faces crying out to God, there's weeping. They are crying, God, this cannot be your purpose for David. Heal David. We don't know what's going on, God. We don't like it, God. God, please come down and do something at the University of Kansas Medical Center that we can't do. We trust you, oh God. And we prayed until everybody was prayed out. We we were literally exhausted emotionally and spiritually on our faces. And so we just, at that point, I just, I said, okay, let's get back together in the morning. Let's pray again. And everybody's like, yes, we'll be here. We'll bring more people. We're going to pray. God's going to heal David. I walked out of the worship center. My, my office was down the hallway and I get a page and it has 911 at the end. That was our signal. Don't you ignore this page. So I walked down into my office and I called the number as another staff member. I remember he said, hello. I said, Hey man, what's up? And he goes, David's dead. We didn't even know he was sick. He goes into the hospital at 6 p.m. At 7 p.m., we get a phone call. We start praying like crazy. By 11 p.m., David's dead. 15-year-old David's dead. And so I didn't know what to do. I'm standing there, and all these teenagers are still out in the hallway. So I walk out in the hall, and I said, David's dead. They took him to surgery. His parents never even got to say goodbye to him. His parents him alive again. He's gone. Jesus describes hell as a place where there will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And this, this instant, when I walked into, into that hallway and I shared with these teenagers, is the only time in my life when I have heard something that I think compares to what hell is going to be like. Because teenagers started screaming, no, God, no, crying. Some of them fell down in the hallways. There's teenagers all over the place. Some of them ran out into the parking lot screaming, no, God, no. We were chasing them down because we didn't want them to get in cars because we were right next to I-30 and we were afraid they were going to get on the highway and there's going to be worse chaos and just all kinds of stuff is going on. And, and I have never in my life experienced gut-wrenching trauma and, and emotionalism like I did that night. We drove home and didn't sleep much that night. Next morning, we show up at, at 10 a.m., and there's twice as many teenagers, twice as many adults, and they are saying, why? This is not fair. We prayed. Why? Why didn't God answer us? And then, then the realization that we prayed, and God did answer us, and God said no. We don't understand. Why would God take David? This is not fair. I, I'm freaking out. So I go into my office and I call a, 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 a big name um, counseling service. I said, I got about 100 people in this room weeping and wailing and gnashing teeth. I don't know what to say. What do I do? And they said, well, go in and just begin to talk about David's life and remember so I'm with a group of guys and, and we end up actually being the, the pallbearers, all of his closest friends. And I was one of the pallbearers and we talk and, and, and people are just, they're distraught. Why did God say no? Why did God say no? This isn't fair. Why did God say no? Two days later, we buried him. You could not get another person in the worship center that day. His casket was right here and there were teenagers actually under the sides of his casket because you couldn't find a place. If the, if the fire marshal had come, we would have been shut down that day. 
his dad stood up and, and he shared. And you're just going, how could a dad share at a moment like this? And it was godly. It was God honoring. I spoke a little bit. Our pastor spoke. And, and I just remember that was one of the... And then I got in the, the, the limo with the pallbearers and we go and, and we, we, we put David's body in the ground. And uh, teenagers are going, we need answers. And I didn't have any. And I just got to tell you that whenever I go through difficult circumstances, um, I go to the Bible. And I told you this last week. If you weren't here last week, you you probably should get that message. Um, What the Bible reveals is that God's people are not a people of explanations because God is bigger than us and he does not owe you an explanation. But what we are is a people of promises. And, and this week I was thinking about this and, and I was thinking of standing on the promises, standing on the promises of God, standing, standing. And so when I'm going through difficult times, y'all may think this is sacrilegious. I stand on those promises and I read those promises and I pray them to God. You said this, God, I'm trusting you. I don't understand But according to your word, you told me you don't have to explain it to me, but you've made promises and I'm going to tell people about your promises and I'm going to counsel people to go to your promises. And so I look in the scripture and I find out, has anybody in there gone through a similar circumstance? And if they have, what are the promises of God? And I'm going to pray them back to God over and over. And what I discovered is there's somebody in the New Testament that has some very similar things that went on with him. His name is the Apostle Paul. Now, you need to understand, before he was Paul, he was named Saul, and he was not a disciple of Jesus. He was not one of the 12 that lived with him. In fact, Saul was a Christian hater. And and Saul, um, the first time we meet him, Saul, because he's very well educated, because he's very proud, um, he's with a group of men that are killing Stephen. They are stoning him, big rocks, stoning Stephen, because Stephen had the audacity to say, Jesus is Lord. And Jesus, and this Jesus that is Lord, you have crucified him. He's the Messiah. You've rejected him. And so they drug him out and they threw rocks at him until Stephen died. And Stephen is looking up and he said, behold, I see the son of man standing at the right hand of the throne of God. It made him all the crazier and they're throwing rocks harder. And then he says, father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. That was one of the, that had to be the most Christ-like statement at a moment when he's being killed by people who don't like Jesus. And the Bible tells us that Saul was standing there approving of this, watching the coats of the people who were throwing rocks because Paul was much too educated. He was much too high in in the religious system to, to get his hands dirty with that. But listen to what the scripture says about Paul the first time we see his name. This is in Acts chapter 8. Saul, uh, come on. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting Stephen to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. They stayed in Jerusalem. Some devout men buried Stephen, and they made loud lamentation lamentation over him. They were weeping, and they were wailing, why God, why God, why did you take Stephen? Stephen was full of faith. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He was preaching the truth, and they killed him. Why God? But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. The persecution started at this time with a guy named Saul. Saul thought that Christians were dangerous. He thought they needed to be silenced by any means possible. If throwing them in jail would shut them up, that's fine. If not, kill them. 
Saul is on the way to Damascus, which is quite a ways away. He's on the road to Damascus. He has certificates to arrest anyone who follows the way. They're not called Christians yet. They're called followers of the way. Jesus said, I'm the way. So followers of the way, he was going to shut them up any way he could to protect the one true God and the one true religion. When Jesus shows up, this blinding light comes Saul falls to the ground and Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, if you know anything about Saul, he's probably thinking, I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting the church. And Jesus said, when you persecute them, you persecute me. That is my body. That is my bride. Whatever you do to them, you do to me. He says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus Christ, whom you are persecuting. He's blind for three days, miraculous healing. He becomes one of the most radical, probably the most radical person in the New Testament other than Jesus. He writes half of the New Testament. And so I'm going to put this over here. He did not meet Jesus as, uh, when Jesus was alive in flesh and blood. He met Jesus after he ascended to heaven, but he becomes an apostle. And so I'm going to put him here. He didn't meet Jesus when he was in flesh. He met him later. And then he writes half of the New Testament. All right. Now, at some point, Paul comes down with an illness. We don't know what it is. There's been all kinds of speculation. I've heard it all. We do not know what it was, but we know it was very um, hurtful to him. And he said, I can't do my job for you, God. He was supposed to be a missionary to everybody who wasn't Jew. That meant to the Gentiles. He started churches all around the Mediterranean Sea. He said, I can't do my job with this debilitating illness, God. So what do you think he did? He prayed. And look what he says. This is in Romans, uh, 2 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 7. Therefore, now uh, we're going to get back to this, but anytime you see the word therefore in the scripture, you need to know what it's there for. I'll bring, I'll come back to that in a minute. In order to, all right, in order to, this is a purpose statement. Why is this illness? Why is this thing that just crushing Paul? There's a reason in order to, and look what he says, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, to keep me from exalting myself. Conceited? What? Go back to the first part of the chapter. Paul's saying, so these people are just criticizing Paul. They're, they're saying, you shouldn't be, you, you don't qualify to be a leader. You shouldn't follow this Jesus. Don't tell us to follow this Jesus. They're hammering him. He said, let me tell you about something. He said, I'm going to brag. I shouldn't brag, but I'm just telling the truth. He said, 14 years earlier, he was caught up into heaven. He said twice, he says, I don't know if I was there physically or if I was there spiritually. God, let me see it. I saw things so magnificent. I heard things so incredible that God would not allow me to tell other people about it. I can't even tell you what I saw. God said, no, you can't, you can't handle, they can't handle what I'm sharing with you only for you to know. And he says to keep me from becoming conceited. Paul was very conceited when he was named Saul. He was so conceited that he killed people who didn't agree with him. So there was a danger of him being conceited as a Christian. Paul says, no, to keep me from being conceited. I know something you don't know. You ever done that? Tell me, no, I know something you don't know. We may not sing it when we're adults, but we do the same thing. I know a secret, right? He said, to keep me from being conceited, look what it says. I was given. This is a big word. You need to understand this word. I know it's taken a while. We're going to get through this verse. The word has a positive connotation, and it actually means like a birthday gift or a Christmas gift. In order to keep me from being conceited, keep me from exalting myself, I was given a Christmas gift. Awesome, Paul, that's great. What wonderful gift were you given? a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. That doesn't sound like a good gift at all. If you have the wrong perspective, it's a bad gift. 
if you think this bad stuff that's happening to me, this is all there is, and I am center of the universe and everything, you should make me happy. Spouse should make me happy. Children should make me happy. School, government. If you think that's all about you, you're never going to get this. You're never going to understand this. But Saul, who became Paul, knew that behind, if we had a bigger one of these, we would. He knew that even before the foundation of the world, God said he was going to send Jesus to deal with your sin and my sin. So you could actually take this cross and you could put it behind every moment in history all the way up to your history and say that God has a purpose in pain. The cross has the final word of what's going on in your life, not you, not Satan, not the people who give you advice who don't know Jesus. If you have that perspective, you can deal with it. If you don't, you're going to have a very difficult time dealing with hardship in this life. Torment. I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment. The idea, another translation says buffet. It is like being beaten up, like body blows from a boxer or an MMA guy, somebody just beating you over and over. I was given a Christmas gift where I was beaten over and over. This thorn in the flesh, it was, it was, a, it was pain with a purpose, and it wasn't going away. So let's look at this. This Christmas gift. By the way, there's 64 days till Christmas. Chew on that one. This Christmas gift that was given to Paul, first it was painful. It literally hurt. Second, it was humiliating. Because not only Paul knew about it, but everybody knew about it. People were saying, Paul's so weak. Paul has this issue. He has, we don't know what it was. He has this. And people were making fun of him. It was debilitating. There were at least three times when he said, it's so bad that I have, to, I have to cry out, God, I can't do my job. It could have been migraines, could have been malaria. We don't know, but it was so bad that it kept him from doing his job for God. And people were wasting him over this. When Paul realized it wasn't going away, look what he did. Verse eight, three times I pleaded. This is begging. This is I am on my face. This is what we did when David was dying. This is what we, we've done when, I've, when some people in our church were sick and dying. When I've, when I've seen people die, when we're crying out, we are pleading with God. God, please save them. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. If you've ever been told that the reason you've not been healed or someone you love has not been healed is because you don't have enough faith. The you don't have enough faith to be healed, that's that next slide, is not in the Bible. It is unbiblical. Because if there was ever a person who had enough faith to be healed, it was the Apostle Paul. And God said, no. Look what he says. He said to me, because don't you want God to speak to you when... He said to me, God, please speak to me when I'm in pain. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. God, that's not what I wanted you to say. You could actually take those two words and you could swap them. My power is sufficient for you for my grace is made perfect in weakness. It'd be the same, same idea. My power, Jesus is saying to him, reaches its full potential when you're weak. Why? Because when you're weak and you're distraught and you're ready to give up, you're not full of yourself. You're empty. There's a whole lot of room for Jesus' power to come in when you're empty. When you're full of yourself, which is what most of us are most of the time, there's no room for God. 
God says no. So that means we could add one more descriptor to Paul's Christmas gift. It's permanent. Is that what you want to open this Christmas? The gift that's painful, humiliating, debilitating, and permanent? It is literally the gift that keeps on giving. Jesus said, my answer is no with a promise. My grace is enough. That's not what I want to hear, God. If you were going to make up a religion to to reach the most people possible, is this the message that you would preach? Because... (laughs) I don't think this is what the masses want to hear. In fact, the prosperity gospel, the if you have enough faith, you'll be healed and you can have everything. The prosperity gospel, their God never says no. There's a whole lot of no's in here. You see, most people want power to escape weakness. They don't want power to endure weakness. Would you agree? David in the 23rd Psalm said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The key word is through. I don't want to be in the valley. I want to be out of the valley. I don't want to walk through the valley. But David continues, he says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you're with me. The key word is through. The masses don't want to go through. They want to get out. And they'll miss what God has for them. And so I think, I think people might say, come on, dude, Paul, quit talking about weaknesses. Nobody wants to hear about weaknesses. And, and I think Paul would go, really? Um, verse 9, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. Paul, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. What do you, what do you think it means? Paul, weaknesses. Well, he tells us in verse 10, the second half. I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let's just take these apart real quickly. First one is insults. Paul is being insulted for his faith. That's the next one. Isn't it on there? Insults. Paul is being insulted for his faith. It's not somebody saying, because I went to Baylor, man, your football team sucks. You are right. That's an insult, but it's right, and I just have to take it because we can't win anything. We got close last night, and that's really all we're saying. We kind of in within two points of winning this time. Hmm, we're great. <laughs> Hannah wants to go, so we're going to go watch us lose next week too. Um, it's, not in, it's not, if you're a Yankees fan, it's not, man, you got altuve last night, right? Because the Astros are going to the World Series and Jose Altuve. In fact, the line this morning on ESPN was Altuve leads the Astros over the Yankees. That's true. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about he's insulted because people say, you believe in Jesus Christ? What kind of moron are you? There's no God. You believe that there was an intelligent designer? You're an idiot. That's insults we're talking about here. Second, hardships. Circumstances beyond your control. You didn't plan it. You didn't think it would happen this way, but it did. You're stuck. Paul, two different times, was in a shipwreck. 
One time he's floating on a piece of wood. He gets to an island. He goes onto the island. They gather wood. And because everybody's wet, they start this fire. He goes to put some wood on the fire. And the most poisonous snake comes out and bites him. And all of the people go, oh, dude, you must be one sorry criminal. You escaped the sea only to be killed by the gods, lowercase g, only to be killed by the gods here on, you're going to die. You're a horrible person. And then he didn't die. And they go, why didn't you die? And he said, because the one true God is not finished with me yet. And they go, this is a God we'll follow if he can even keep you from dying from the most poisonous snake. He got to tell them about Jesus. Hardships. Third is persecutions. This is wounds or abuses or painful circumstances, acts of prejudice, exploitation from people because you believe in Jesus. Um, persecutions. I, I'd forgotten this. I knew, I knew Paul had been beaten with lashes, 39 lashes, several times. I'd forgotten it was five times. In Deuteronomy, we're told that, that if you had a, a criminal, it was okay to take a criminal and you could beat him with a rod or with a whip 39, well, actually it said 40 times, but the, the, the Jews were afraid of breaking that commandment. So they would only go 39 times in case somebody miscounted, they wouldn't offend God. Paul, because he was a believer in Christ, was taken by Jews who were defending the one true God and they beat him five different times with 39 lashes. Another time, Paul was stoned and that's not weed, that's rocks. He was talking about Jesus. They didn't like it. The Jews, the defender of the one true God, drag him outside the city. They pick up rocks and they throw rocks at him until they thought he was dead. Some people say maybe this is the time God took him into the third heaven where he saw these visions. We don't know, but wouldn't that be like God? You need to be encouraged. Let me show you something so spectacular that being stoned by rocks is very insignificant. Right? That'd be like God. We don't know for sure. That's persecutions, difficulties, pressure, or being weighed down by circumstances. Paul said on more than one occasion, I wanted to die. In fact, he said, it's better for me if I do die because then I get to go to heaven and I get to see all that stuff that I saw in a vision. He said, but it's better for you if I stay here and I teach you. And even Jesus Christ said, I am overwhelmed to the point of death. This is what we mean by hardships. There are some hardships that are so weighing us down that we would like to die. Now, let me say this. These weaknesses were not sin or bad choices. What we get from sin is the the consequences of our sin. If if we choose a path and we know that this path leads to uh, pregnancy outside of marriage or this path leads to going to jail because of doing something illegal, we get the consequences. He's not saying, I'm going to boast in my bad choices. And and he's not saying that that I'm going to boast in my weaknesses like he has a weakness for lust or bluebell ice cream. That's not what we're talking about here. Paul has nothing to say about our choices here. Paul is not talking about the choices we made. He's not saying, um, the power of Christ is perfected in my bad choices. He's not saying, I will gladly boast of my bad choices. Because I hear people all the time go, I wouldn't change a thing about my life. This is who I am. I'd change a lot of things. I did some stupid stuff. I hurt people. I lied. I stole. I cheated. I would change all of those things. I'm not ever going to brag about those stupid things I did but he's going to brag about this. 
Weaknesses are circumstances, situations, wounds that make us look weak, and we would change them if we could, but we don't have enough power to change them. Or the scripture says, do not repay evil for evil. You might like to kill them, but you're probably going to jail. Billy Graham's wife was asked if she ever thought about divorce. She said, no. Murder, yes. Divorce, no. (laughs) Where do the weaknesses come from? Paul tells us in this passage, they come from Satan, the enemy of God. He He wants to destroy and make you miserable, and he wants to actually cause the death of believers so that they can't tell any more people about the one true God. Paul even tells us that that it was pride in his life. And here's the thing. The thorn of Satan was meant to destroy Paul. God used the thorn to save Paul from himself. See, pride is one of Satan's greatest attacks on you and me. He will destroy us. Look what I did. Pat yourself on the back. Look what I did. And the moment you get full of yourself, there's no room for God. Or he'll destroy you with despair. I should have, I should have, I should have, which is really kind of a false pride in, in you're, you're caught up in what you should have done. Yes, all of us should have done something different, but that has not defined who I am. The only way I'm defined by my past is if I keep doing my past the rest of my days on earth. You don't have to be defined by that if you will follow God and let him change you. Satan was hoping to make Paul miserable so that he would turn his back on the one true God and on his mission. Satan wants to beat you up. He wants to buffet you so that you will turn your back on the one true God. God's purpose is to overrule. Satan rules, God overrules, and he makes us humble. It's okay to pray for relief from your pain because pain in and of itself is not good and God doesn't delight in your suffering. He delights in making you look like Jesus. And, and when we're honest, the most, the most efficient way for him to make me look like Jesus Christ is through difficult times because then I'm empty. And then he molds me and shapes me. When I'm full of myself, he says, I oppose proud people. I give grace to humble people. And see, humility, would you agree humility is not a, not a characteristic that is pursued in the American society? It is so important in God's economy that God thinks it's more important than your comfort. Again, read that scripture. It doesn't talk about you being comforted except by the Holy Spirit during times of trial, tribulation. God thinks humility is more important than freedom from pain. (laughs) Knowing all that, Paul, what are you going to do in the meantime? And by the way, I'm going to talk about Paul in the meantime next week. You got to come back for that. What are you going to do, Paul, in the meantime? Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Since this is not going away, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to own it. I'm going to admit it. I'm going to brag about God. Why? So that, another purpose statement, Christ's power may rest on me. Paul says, I know the best way to have God's power is to go through trial, so I'm just going to own it. Most of us don't own it. Most of us hide it or run from it. If God allowed it, I'm going to own it. I'm going to praise God that he cares enough to allow me to experience his power. And here's here's the thesis statement for today's talk. Owning your inability is the only way to experience Christ's ability. Let me read it again, then I want you to read it with me. Owning your inability is the only way to experience Christ's ability. Read that out loud with me. Owning your inability is the only way to experience Christ's ability. I have to own my issues, not run from them. And then Paul says in verse 10, that is why. If 
for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. But Paul, as Americans, that's not very high on our list. And I think Paul would say, that's why so few Americans ever experience the power of the living God. The trials were a gift with a purpose and a promise. You remember when Joseph, we studied Joseph a a while back. You remember when Joseph was before his brothers, they didn't know it was Joseph. 38 years before they had sold him into slavery. 38 years he'd been away from his family. He had risen to become the most powerful, second most powerful person of the most powerful nation on the planet. And his brothers are before him wanting food. He has all the opportunity to destroy them and nobody would have batted an eye. But Joseph is the most humble person in that room. Look what he says. You meant to hurt me, but God turned your evil into good to save the lives of many people, which is being done. You see, if you believe God can change your circumstances, whatever they are, but God doesn't, you have an option. There's lots of options. You've got a lot of bad options, but here's a good option. You can choose to receive what's happening in your life as a gift, a Christmas gift with a purpose and a promise. The purpose has not been revealed yet. The promise is my grace is enough. See, the unbiblical prosperity gospel, that's the name it and claim it. I want this car. I want this house. I want that spouse. I want whatever. If you don't get what you want in the prosperity gospel, you are the problem because you don't have enough faith. And the unbiblical prosperity gospel did not come from the people who brought you the real gospel of Jesus Christ because they were a people well acquainted with suffering and pain and their God often said no. Even Jesus was called the suffering servant. The Jews didn't get this. This is part of why they still don't recognize Jesus as Messiah. They thought that the, 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 the suffering part was a different person and then the Messiah was going to come. We look back and we see that it's one person. The first coming, he was the suffering servant. Second time he comes, it's the conquering king. It's the same person, two different incarnations on earth. The suffering servant wrestled with his heavenly father. The night before he was arrested, the night before he was beaten and nailed to a cross for your sin. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, and and I can see this in my mind. The eastern wall, the eastern gate is up here. The Garden of Gethsemane is down the valley, and it's, it's a short walk. So you can see the temple mount. You can actually see the temple. Jesus is down in the Garden of Gethsemane praying, praying sweat drops of blood. He, he's so distraught, and look what he says. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. His disciples knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing... I know you're able. I'm not questioning your ability. If you're willing, please take this cup, this Christmas gift that keeps on giving. Please take it away from me. But not my will. Your will be done. I know you're able. I know you can save through the fire with your mighty hand, but even if you don't, I know the sorrow, I know the hurt would all go away if you just said the word. But even if you don't, my hope is in you alone. It's okay, God, if you say no. The prosperity gospel, I don't like it. 
Not only is it not biblical, the prosperity gospel is all about my will be done. I don't give a rip what your plan is, God. I want it. And if you're a good God, you'll give it to me. The biblical picture, and it's not an easy message, is not my will, but your will be done. You have an option to receive whatever it is that you cannot change as a gift with a purpose and a promise from your heavenly Father who loves you enough to become sin on your behalf. You see, the consequences of sin, that's, we get what we deserve. But maturity in Christ, humility in Christ, delighting in and bragging about weaknesses, all, it's all about your will be done. Did you bow your heads? Father, I want to I ask forgiveness for this congregation, myself included, that we get so caught up in our problems that we take our eyes off of the cross. We don't even consult the scripture. We consult all kinds of things, horoscopes, people who don't know you, people who are far from you. And we'll take their advice over your promises. Forgive us for that sin, God, and wake us up to the possibility, the option of accepting whatever you give us as a part of your plan that you're bigger than Satan. Satan rules, you overrule. We want to be a reflection of Jesus and we can't be because we're so full of ourselves. God, I pray that whatever it takes to humble the people in this room and the people who call New Life Community Church their home, I pray you do it. And I pray you spare our lives in the process so we can be like Paul and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to brag about what my God did. I may want to die in the process, but I'm not going to die until God says, come on home, my good and faithful servant. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.